Thanks, guys. You can take your seat. Well, actually, before you say, just keep standing. Keep standing. It's important for us to see. Sometimes, you know, when you when you're in an environment, something that's okay. Sometimes, when you're in an environment and you're with something every day, what is uncommon can become common to you. You know that, eh? And so, it's easy for us to because we know people every day to just treat it as common when it actually is uncommon. And I've known Jason and Sue for a long time. I've actually known Sue for longer than I've known Jason. For a long time. And, and they are uncommon people. They're uncommon people in the way they love. Passionately. They love everybody. They love with their whole lives. Some people love from a distance. Some people love. You stay over there, I'll stay over here. I love you. But Jason and Sue don't do that. They love with everything. With everything. And so can I ask you, and we've honored a lot of people, but we need to make sure that, that what is uncommon is honored. And they are uncommon. They're uncommon leaders. Can you put your hands together? You guys are amazing. Thanks, guys. You can take your seats. Really, really special. Incredible people. I love Sue. Sue, the first time I got to know Sue's personality... She had a friend that liked my older brother. <laughs> so they came to visit my house because her friend wanted to be close to my I wanted to see my brother's bedroom and stuff, you know. Um, and my parents had just got divorced, so we were like we were like we had nothing. I was living with my dad and the house was like I mean, it was it was it was rough. Two, three boys in the house. And so she came to the house with her with her friend and they Sue, I mean, this is what Sue's like. If you've been to your house, you'll know. She just opened the fridge, started looking through the cupboards. <laughs> and she was very ungracious about it. She said, there's no food in this house. <laughs> like, yeah, there's three boys, you know. It was stuck in my mind. <laughs> That's what I love about Sue. You'll always know exactly where you stand with her. Like always. It's been fantastic. Well, I'm married to an incredible wife, Marinette. She can't be here tonight because our younger son had his, his um, awards evening, a school awards evening tonight. And so she had to be there for that. So it does give her apologies. And it's got a WhatsApp that he got um, academic awards and sports awards and all that. So it's pretty, it's pretty chuffed. But I'm very blessed with two amazing, amazing boys. Um, and it's a real privilege for us to serve God together. And that's what it is. It's not like uh, our boy, Marinette, and I drag our kids along. We absolutely believe that God put them in our family for a reason. And so we've told them from the time that they're born that they're called to change the world and that they're called to lead church. So, I mean, I don't know if they are or not, but we told them that. <laughs> so you're in our family and we're committed to leading the church, so you must be committed to leading the church with your life. And so we're just raising up leaders to change the world, whether they like it or not. We've prophesied it over, we've spoken it into their lives. Just some context, some background. Um, so I'm 44 this year, quite hectic. <laughs> and um, I grew up in Tableview. Amazing to see so many amazing friends here, people that I've known for a long time, people that actually played a role in mentoring. Anton and Andrea, do you remember coming to your life group when I was a teenager? And, and just the role that you've played and still seeing here faithfully serving is absolutely incredible. And, and so, so many of you have believed in me, spoken life into me, and, and none of us, in, you know, in Africa we've got that saying that it takes a village to raise a child. And none of us 
are self-made. Obviously, God puts stuff into us, but, but everybody that we encounter through our lives plays a role in shaping us, in shaping who we become. And I probably is one of those people that is probably the least likely to succeed um, in ministry. As a matter of fact, I actually applied to a Bible school. The Bible school down the road that's closed down, praise Jesus. <laughs> I applied to go to the Bible school, and uh, they said, no, you're not fit for ministry. We don't think you've got what it takes. Fortunately, Graham believed in me. I said, no, don't worry, we'll teach you what you need to know. Yeah. You're still regretting that decision. <laughs> <I'm joking>. <laughs> <laughs> but just some, some context. Some context that our View Church sent us up to Zambia a, few, a number of years ago, 17 years ago, to start to plant some churches. And we, we were by grace, God's grace. Things have done really well. As you heard, Matt, Matt and Savannah are leading the team up there at the moment. And then we came down to George seven years ago to to plant a hope church in George. And by God's grace, God's breathed on it. And so now on an average Sunday between George and Zambia, there's just over 7,500 people gather. Uh, that's pretty awesome, eh? And so the reason why I share that with you, is just to give you a little bit of context, is that we've had to learn a whole lot of things along the way. We've made a whole lot of mistakes. And what I'm going to share is just some things that, that we've learned that might be helpful to you in your journey as you commit to growing and seeing God's kingdom extended. And the first one, and this is one of the most relieving, fantastic verses in the Bible, is in Matthew chapter 16, verse 18. It says this, this is Jesus speaking to Peter, and I says, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. I love that, because it says that God will build his church. It doesn't say that God will build your church. It doesn't say God will build the view church. It says God will build his church. It's not my responsibility, it's not your responsibility to build the church, it's God's responsibility to build the church. And God always looks after what actually belongs to him. And I find in my own, that that's true for your life groups or your small groups, or whatever your ministry that you're running, God is committed to building his church. And as long as we continue to remind ourselves that actually this is his, and actually it's in his hand, and we get to co-labor with him, I sleep well at night. I find that I actually stop sleeping well at night when I start to think it's my responsibility. When I think I've got to do it. Yes, I've got to do what I can do, but actually it's his responsibility. And the Bible tells us that God is way more committed to his church than what we could ever be. Matter of fact, not only is God committed to his church, God is committed to you and to your family way more than you could ever be. God is more committed to your life, to your kids, to your future than you could ever be. Matter of fact, he is so committed that his son died on the cross for your life. His son died on the cross so that you could see success, so that you could be fruitful, so that you could have a life of purpose. That's amazing. And then it says in the book of Romans that not only along with him, his, his son, God will graciously give us everything else we need, which means that you can't earn it. That's what that word grace means. So sometimes we fall into the trap and we think, it's all up to me. No, no, it's all up to God. It's all up to God. And then there's this other passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and I love it. It says, what after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned each task, I planted a seed, Apollos watered, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants, nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. There were three main role players in the birth of the Corinthian church. One was Paul, one was Apollos, 
Bible describes Apollos as mighty in the word. He was this guy that was raised in Alexandria. Alexandria was a university city in the world at the time. It was an incredible place of learning. And not only was he very learned and knowledgeable, but he had this incredible gift of teaching. Imagine if the Bible tells, says that you're mighty in the word, that you've got to be mighty in the word. So he was an incredibly gifted teacher. And then you've got Cephas. Cephas is, is Peter's other name. Peter had three names. He had Simon, Peter, and Cephas. And so you got Peter, who, I mean, we know who he is. He's, he's the guy that Jesus said, hey, I'm going to use you to build a church. Um, and you've got these three incredibly strong, dynamic personalities all playing a role in the life of this Corinthian church. And, and what the people at, in Corinth, I, don't, I mean, it's shocking to think this, but they started to make heroes and superstars out of, out of Christian leaders. It doesn't happen today anymore, huh? Um, and so that they were doing this, and they were like, oh, him, and I, and him, and him. And Paul Rice says, hey, there's nobody special here. I planted, Apollos watered, but only God makes things grow. Can you turn to the person next to you and say, only God makes things grow? Only God. Only God can make something grow. Our responsibility is to never to grow anything. But it does say that we are co-laborers with Christ. So we labor with Christ. One plants, another waters, but God is the one that makes it grow. And what that really means is we are responsible for creating the environment through which something can grow. So our responsibility is to create environments where a seed can grow. That's our job. So our job, when you come into the church here, you can come in like, mm-hmm. is me, life is terrible. Say worship, I'm going to worship Jesus, praise God. <laughs> or I can, hey God, why? Because we know that when we're happy, it creates a sense of expectation, a place of worship, it lifts the atmosphere, and that's where things grow. Things don't grow. Faith doesn't grow. It's, oh, it's terrible. Oh, did you know Fuff was wearing that speedo that I don't know was <laughs> I mean, we can, we can focus on all the negative and all the, but our responsibility is to create environments where things grow, where faith grows, where lives are changed. We create coffee, we make the place clean. Why? Because it creates an environment. You can go into some restaurant, you know, some restaurants you go into and you, as you walk in, you get scared because as you walk in, it's like your feet stick to the floor. Have you ever been in those restaurants? And you're too scared to put your hands on the table. I remember actually sleeping in a, in a, in a, in, in a little like B&B place in Mongu. The first time we went to Mongu, it was like 20 years ago. Uh, in Zambia, the first time we went there, we were so scared because the place was so dirty that we were too scared to sleep on the bed. So what we did is we sprayed doom on the floor and we slept on the floor. You know, it's like, and you can go to restaurants like that, but you know, sometimes churches can be like that. You're like, and we have to create welcoming environments where people, that's our responsibility. So we labor with God, absolutely. But God is the only one. And let's make sure we consistently realize, our, what is my response? My response is to create environments my response is to water and to feed, but God is the one that changes lives. I can't take credit for saying life changed, and I can't take responsibility to change a life. My responsibility is to create an environment where God can do what he wants to do. And so it's so important for us to, rem- to remember that. Because I, I, this is, it's, it's almost like a weight comes off our shoulders. But not only is that about church, it's actually about life. You just got to do what you're supposed to do. 
and leave what God, up to God, what God said he will do. What God said he will do. And don't have to beg God. But don't say, oh God, please. God's like, why are you begging me? I'm, I'm, I'm so committed to your life. I'm, it changes the way that we pray when that settles in our hearts. So let's build great environments. I love this other passage and it's connected. This was in the book of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 4. It says, so Christ gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, some to be pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service. So God gives gifts to people to equip the people to do the work. It says, God, to equip his people to do works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed backwards and forwards by the cunning craftiness of people and the deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become, in every respect, the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. I'm going to read that verse 16 again. This is important. From him, not from us, from him, the whole body, joined together, held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each one does its part. So what this whole passage talks about It says it's God's responsibility to grow the church. Our responsibility to grow the people. If we grow the people, God will use the people to grow the church. Let me say that again. If we grow the people, God will use the people to grow the church. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. All you've got to do is just build people. We're in the people building business. That's what we do. We build people. And we just build people and build people and help build, help build great lives. I mean, it's so fantastic to hear about how do we build great marriages, great lives, having programs like that, divorce. Just, we're just helping people build great lives. And if we build the people, God will use the people to build the church. So just some thoughts on that. I can't find anywhere in the Bible that God tells us to build the church. He says that he will build the church. Our job is to create a great environment. Something I've learned along the way, many years ago, I was watching a movie in South Africa. And there's all these American movies, and I can't remember what the movie was about. But in the movie, there was this, this guy who was telling a bit of a story. I think it was Robert De Niro, I can't remember. But he was telling a story about his dad. And his dad grew up in the days where his dad was a traveling salesman. So he used to go from door to door and sell things. I can't remember what his dad was selling. But he said, hey, my dad was a traveling salesman. But then the market changed. And people stopped buying from door to door salesmen. It's like, you know, supermarkets started to spring up. And so he had to work harder. And then he says this. He made this statement. The harder he worked, the more he sweated. And people don't like the smell of sweat. And it hit me. People don't like the smell of sweat. So when we talk about creating environments, people don't like the smell of sweat. We've got a statement in our church, this is a no-sweat environment. So we have 
And in and, and, and George, at the moment, we, we have five services on a Sunday. It's five services. So it's tight. It's, it's very easy to smell like sweat. It's very easy to give off the projection that you're stressed, that you're hurrying from here to there, that people are like, yeah, just sit in a moment. And, yeah, okay, I'll come back to you now. Oh, sorry. <laughs> um, so it's very easy to give off the perception that you stressed out. We don't stress. So we plan hectically. Jason and I were talking about it early on at the, and Matt Savannah at supper. I mean, that means I've, we've got to plan meticulously down to the minute beforehand so that on the Sunday it's a sweat-free environment. So I want to encourage you to not sweat when you come here. Let's make this a sweat-free environment. People, are, they've got, they're going through all sorts of crazy things out there. They're facing terrible, terrible stuff. The last thing they want to do is to come into a place that smells like sweat. When we talk about sweat, I'm talking about a tense environment. People are stressed out. What we want to do is we want, to, we want everybody to know that I've got time for you. Now, we know that we've got another service starting because our services are like an hour, hour and five minutes at the max because we've got five services. But... But we don't project that. We never mention time. We are a sweat-free environment. Every single person that comes in the church, they feel like they've got time. We feel unrushed. We look at them in the eyes. Hey, we help. We're there to help you. Create a, make sure this is a sweat-free environment. The people come in, they know we've got time for them. They know that they're valuable because every single person is valuable to God. Let's make sure that we're... So it means, it means you've got to work a whole lot harder beforehand. You can't be running around trying to find something at the last minute. That should have been done during the week. That should have been prepared way in advance. Why? So that. Because some things, things are going to go wrong. That's why you have to have margin. You have to build margin. And we learned this in Zambia when we first went up there. The exchange rate would fluctuate because we'd base all our budgets in RAND, but there we were working in the Kocha. The one year, it fluctuated by 60%. You're starting to sweat. Okay, let's build margin into our budgets so that we don't have to sweat. Build margin into your life. Build margin. Come early. Arrive. Just come 20 minutes early. Come five minutes early. For your time, okay, I'm supposed to be on duty at, at 7 o'clock. Don't come at 7. Come quarter 2. Just be a sweat-free environment. Walk in with a smile on your face. Make sure you've got margin for people and for things. In order to do this, means you've got to learn the skill. These are the things that we've learned. You've got to learn the skill of saying no to say yes. In order to have a sweat-free environment and even to have a sweat-free life, you've got to say no to good ideas so that you can say yes to the right ideas. If we can't say no to good things, we're never going to be able to say yes to the right things. So you've got to say no to good ideas. Sometimes they've got ideas. No. But what you can't say no and like get stressed out. You've got to say no with a smile. So our team, we, we, do, we, we practice. No, no, no. No, you got no. No, that's not a good idea. No, no, we're not going to do that. Not like, no, you know, no, no, why are you asking me that? No, 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 no. We, 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 I don't know what your, your team called, we call them venue control. They always have like the security, like they, they keep the eye out, you know, because we could like, I mean, you've got to have that when the, anyway. So we, 
So our venue control, we, we say, you just say no to us. No, no, you can't come in today. No, you can't. No. And we're like soft, and we say soft, firm, warm hands. So treat people soft. They want to be soft. They need to be firm, and they need to be warm. And the way that you deal with people, it's just because it's a, it's a swear-free environment. It's, people are valuable. People are, are valuable to God. How are we treating them? Soon to say no, to say yes. You've got to build away from yourself. You've got to build away from yourself. I'm the type of person that wants every single person. I mean, if there's a new person that comes to church, I want to meet them. I want to greet them. I, want, I mean, I'm, I'm, they're new. Awesome. You talk to them. Can I get you some coffee? And then I see them the next week. Hey, how's it going? What happened the week? And I even send them a WhatsApp during the week. And then, and then they settle in the church. And then like, like two months into it, they settled. And then somebody else new comes to church. And like, on oh, that one. And then, and then they settle. And then I'm on that one. And the one that I used to speak to every week, I don't speak to anymore. <laughs> I didn't even reckon I walked straight past them in the mall. Because what I was doing, I was building everything around myself. I thought that people had to be connected to me. This guy wrote this book that really changed the way that we do work in Zambia. And there's, there's a, a guy called uh, Alan, Roland Allen. And um, he wrote a book called St. Paul's Methods or Ours. Like he was an Anglican missionary years and years and years ago, about 120 years ago in India. And he said, how much do we actually trust the Holy Spirit? How much do we trust the Holy Spirit? Because so much of our discipleship is trying to get people to be connected to us. We think if they're connected to us, we will guide them into all truth. We will disciple. As long as they're pushing into us, as long as I'm connected, they're connected to me, guess what? They're going to be okay. But he says, actually, what we're supposed to do is we're supposed to get them connected to the Holy Spirit and not connected to us. Because actually the Bible says he will lead them into all truth. So, so often our discipleship, we, we want to be the one that's connected because we think it's our responsibility to grow people. It's not our responsibility. It's not even my responsibility to lead them into all truth. My responsibility is to get them to connect it to him because he says he will lead them into all truth. So my responsibility is to just to make sure that I'm helping them get connected to God and to get them connected to others. And so now I'm at the place where we have, we have life group leaders that I promise you I've never met before in my life. Scary. I walk past them in the mall. Oh, they smile. I smile at everybody. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> How you doing? Because I mean, I don't know. I just because I maybe they. I don't know. Maybe they, I don't. Know. Maybe they don't stop with us. I don't know. I'm checking them. But uh, <laughs> but uh, but the reality is is you can only continue to grow if it's not about you. You can only continue to grow if you realize. You can only, you're like a piece of Lego. You've only got so many connection points. You've only, that's all you've got. And if you're going to treat or disconnect to get, you can't do it. So if Jason starts walking past you in the, in the mall and doesn't recognize you, it's not a bad thing. Because we also, we put, we put, we get people to be, to, to, to feel like they need to be connected to us. And that's, it's wrong. They need to be connected to Jesus. That doesn't mean they don't need friends. We, we absolutely want to create environments where people can have, make friends, but we can't be their friend. I can't be their friend. They need friends within the church, but I can't, I can't be everybody's friend. You can't be everybody's friend. 
in your ministry, in your teams. Don't, don't fall into that trap. And this is a big one. This is something that, that uh, Matt and, and I and the team in Zambia learned a hard lesson about two years ago. A number of, so we have to actually build each other's platforms. I'm a, I'm a postmodern Gen Xer, that's me. And so I have an, an, an allergic reaction to positional leadership. It, like, it freaks me out. Um, and so I hate titles. I hate special seats. I hate being honored. I absolutely hate it. Um, but as the organization has grown, I've got to have influence with people. But I can only have influence with people through certain things that I can do. I can maybe, through my position, people say, oh, he's the leader. But there's some people that I'm never going to have a conversation with, but I still need influence with them. So we might say to the church, hey, we're going to build this. We need you to give money towards this. This is where we're going. And the people need to trust me, even though I've never had a conversation with them. How do I get influence with them? Maybe preaching well, maybe they seem, but, but that's, that's shallow influence. That's shallow trust. But I need them to trust me. Marinette needs them to trust me. And now in Zambia, that's in another country. We've got pastors and leaders that I don't know, but if I might only go up there once a year or twice a year and I speak to all the staff and say, hey, this is what we're doing or this is what we believe or that's wrong, they need to trust me. But, but I'm not there. I'm not there. So how do I get that trust? Well, that's where I need our team to build my platform. Matt can only build his platform to a certain size through his living his life, but at some point in time, other people need to build his platform. So I need, if I go up there, I need to speak well about Matt. I need to build his platform. When I got up here, what did I say? The first thing I did is I honored Jason and Sue. What did I do? I built their platform in front of all of you. You thought, yeah, I mustn't take them for granted. See, that wasn't, that, yes, I want to honor them, but, but it was intentional. And so we have to become intentional about building each other's platforms. We have to. Graham, Evans and I, Graham, you know Graham? Years ago, we were praying and the church is in a, this was back when we were only one church, Tableview. It was called Agape AOG. You guys remember that? It had Agape on the church, like Agape. What is that? Agape. <laughs> and the church wasn't growing. The church wasn't growing, was struggling. And so we're praying, and we got this picture of an arrow. This is the church. But there were a lot of little arrows. Some of the arrows were in the, in, in the big arrow. Some of them were like pointing in that direction. There were a lot of other arrows like this and some arrows like that. And we felt God clearly say to us that that's the reason why the church is not growing because all the arrows are not all pointing in the right direction. And so we realized that our responsibility was to, to get these little arrows to be inside the big arrow and then to get all the little arrows inside the big arrow to point in the same direction. So what are the little arrows? That's people, that's ministries, um, that's various different things. And so some of them just refused to get into the, they just wanted to do their own things. We had to cull them off, so you can't be part of us. So you can't be part of us. It was a difficult conversation, but remember, like, no, no, no. No, 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 we're not going to do that. No. Um, 
They say I have to have a lot of nuts, but we, but we were like immature back then. We were like, you know. Graham used to call it the Graham Evans special. You know, like. But we've learned. We've got better. We've matured. Like, no, no. Um, so we've got to get all the arrows, little arrows. And, and, and I'm not sure where you are, or maybe you here, but I've can, I can, I can, I, I got to encourage you. You've got to get it. Make sure you're in the you're in the so you're in the big arrow, and this is the values, what we actually stand for, how we do it, like the way that we do church. Maybe you come from another church and you think, yeah, but Mike, your previous church used to do this. This is not your previous church. This is not your previous church. You've got to love the way that, that Jason and Sue and the leadership team here choose to build this church. You've got to love this church and you've got to love this arrow. And if you don't, then maybe this, is, this church isn't for you. So either you get in and you get pushing in the right direction, or rather than be a part of it. Because if you're in here and you're actually pushing in this direction, you, you don't, you're not helping us move forward. You're actually working against it. And church momentum and church growth works like this. It's if all the little arrows just get into it and just push in the same direction, it moves forward. It's not rocket science. It's actually quite easy. Just got to align all the arrows and get them in. Now inside here are different arrows. Some of them are bigger arrows, bigger personalities, bigger leaders. Jason and Sue are obviously the big arrows, are big arrows in here, and their voice needs to be big. But the reason that what you have to do is you have to intentionally Talk about them and, and other leaders that are, are, are senior that have influence. You need to intentionally talk about them behind their back. Like all the time. Like whenever you have enough, somebody new, just you're going to love our pastor today. Jason, they're awesome. Let me tell you the time, when I first came in, you know, you, know, you know how they raised their family? You know what they've done for this person? You know what they've done? You know they've got such an incredible, they're like, oh, wow, oh, wow. Then Jason said, you know, we need money for the bully. You don't know. You don't know. Just by you saying something, you've bu- somebody else is trusted. Because he's going to have to come up and, and at some point and say, no, no, we're not going to do that. <laughs> but at some point, people are going to say, okay, why? Because you've built trust. You've, you've, you've given influence to them. Is that making sense? It's essential that we intentionally build each other's arrows. We build each other's platforms. A number of years ago, my son was about, my second son, Nathan, he, uh, he was about to be born, and we were in Zambia, and my wife had come out uh, a little early to give, to give birth, uh, similar to what Matt Savannah is just busy going through now, and I stayed up there, and we wanted to go plant a church in this area called Mateti, Mateti wasn't a district yet, but there was this people group called the Liwa, and we didn't have any churches amongst them, and we were like, really, Lord, we didn't want to plant a church amongst them, and so we... We looked on a map, and this friend of mine, Anton Pellicello, got into Land Cruiser. Land Cruiser is the best car in the world, by the way. <laughs> Joe Hilux, close second. Um, and so we jumped into, this land cru- into our Land Cruiser. We said, okay, okay, the only way to get there, we're going to cut across a flood plain, and we're going to drive there, and okay, we're going to get there. We're going to trust God to somehow plant a church in this area. And we started driving, and it was the end of the, it was like September. Started driving across the flood plain. We got this X section where the Lira River flows into the Zambezi, and we're driving, and, and you get to these sections of water, and you get to the section of water, and you see it's a little bit deep. And so you think, I've got to get out, and you've got to, you know, four by four, you've got to get out, and you've got to walk. 
check it, no, feel the ground, no, it's firm, no, we're fine. So get back in the car, carry on driving, uh, drive through the water, all fine. Second section of water, no, fine, get out, test it, man, it's fine, drive through. Third, drive through. Fourth, drive through. Starts to get dark. Fifth, test it, drive through. Sixth one, no, I'm sure it's fine. We're not going to get out. I'm sure it looks fine, it looks fine. So we get in, we drive into the lake, drive, and we just sunk into this, it's this, it's like, and water starts coming into the door, and you go out, you open the car door, water comes in, you stand out, and there's this thick mud. But, you know, Anton's full of faith, I'm full of faith, no, it's going to be fine. But Bright Spark Paul didn't bring a spade, didn't bring a high of jack. I had a little bottle jack, and that was about it. And so how can we try to get out of here? Got a little bottle jack, but it's sinking down, got little head torches on, it's like late at night now. As we're trying to figure this thing, we hear dogs barking in the distance. We start shouting to the, see the village. There must be a village close by because you can hear the dogs barking, shouting to people to come and help us, but nobody's coming. We carry on. And about, probably about 11 o'clock at night, Ansel says, hey, Paul, there's something on your legs. I look down and there's like this leech. No. You've seen the movies. You think, okay, you've got to get a lighter or something to like burn it off. That's how you get a leech off because the movies do. So I'm trying to get a lighter. But Anton's like, what are you doing? Because Anton's like a real, he's like a real man. He's like... No, seriously, actually, he was, a, not a, he, was a, he was a child soldier in Angola for like, like 15 years, like a legit. He's like, he got saved, radically saved. He's like, a, he's like, he's as tough as anything. So he's like, no, Paul, just slap it, you know? So I'm like, okay. And no, no, it like falls off. And I'm like, oh, cool, okay. Throw it in the water. He says, why did you throw it in the water? So I said, no, slapped it. He says, no, no, it'll come back. So he says, no, no, they, those things, they can smell blood. And they swim, they'll kind of come back. And lo and behold, where it bit me, it's bleeding now. And I can see, yeah, it comes. But he called his friends. So I look up and on this leg, there's like four now. Slap, throw them, try to five. Then on the other leg, if there's got like 20 of them on my leg, I'm not a happy camper. I'm not. A, like two o'clock in the morning, we're not going anywhere. I'm like, I'm going to go sleep. All these leeches. I'd like to tell you that I almost cried. I did not cry, but I almost cried. And I'm thinking, how are we ever going to get this land cruise out? Anyway, the sun comes, I go find a sleep, and the dogs are barking, and I go find somebody to sleep. Anton sleeps in the car. The next morning, some people from the neighboring village come, and I'm like moaning at them. Why didn't you come and help us last night? No, didn't you hear the dogs barking? Yeah, yeah, no, there were two lions walking around. They're like, hey, you know? And um, so we're there, and we think, okay, do you have any oxen? You know, do you have any oxen? So they're like, yeah, yeah. So they bring a, a 12 oxen. I mean, 12 oxen is a lot. So there's like, it's six, six, massive chain attached to the Land Cruiser, try to pull the Land Cruiser out. The, the chain kept on snapping. This Land Cruiser was stuck. I almost cried, eh? Almost. <laughs> anyway, the sun's now come up. The leeches are still there. They're biting me. But you know, the sun goes onto the bonnet. The bonnet gets hot. Eventually, <laughs> had a pile of leeches on the bonnet. It was awesome. But this land cruise is still stuck. And honestly, I'm thinking, I don't know how we're ever going to get this car out of here. There's nowhere in the floodplain. There's, there's no trees. So all the books, all the manuals that you've read, everything you know about getting a getting, you have to get some like logs under the car to drive the car out. I'm like, we're stuck. Anton, always full of faith. No, no, we'll build a bridge. So Anton, we need to build a bridge. With what? Because like, my faith is, is coming down. We'll get some sticks because there's like little bushes. So I pick up, I remember going, pick up a stick. 
says, with this, break it. With this. He says, yes. He says, if we just get enough of them, we'll build a bridge. So that's what we did. We just went and collected a whole lot of little sticks and put them in the car and a whole lot more sticks and a whole lot more. Eventually, we actually built a bridge and drove the Lankus out there. And now, by God's grace, I think we've got eight churches in Mateti. Lewa people reached for Jesus. It's amazing. And, and I can remember driving away, driving out of that muck, thinking we're never going to get out of there. And I felt, I felt God. You know when God just drops something in your heart? I felt God say, that's exactly what the church is like. Church is stuck. You know God wants it to change the world. I think it's never going to happen. We're never going to get there. God's called us to, to do this. It's never going to happen. Maybe you feel like that about your life. It's never going to happen. And you look at the situation, you think, I need some logs. I need some, all I've got is a stick. What? It's never going to happen. It's never going to happen. But God tells us that he's given us, in the book of Peter, he says he's given us everything we need to succeed. God has given you everything you need to succeed. And that's the word of God, which means he's given you everything you need. And you might be looking at this thing, well, what good can this do? What good can this do? You just be faithful to build people. And maybe to the church, and you just need to build people. Sometimes it's just leaders in the church. Sometimes we cry, God, I need a, my youth pastor's leaving. Lord Jesus, I need another one. Lord God. You know what? Little sticks. Little sticks. Little sticks. Think about whatever ministry you're involved with, whatever thing you trust in God for. Maybe it's even your own life. Think God is never going to happen. Little sticks. Little sticks. And you put one little stick and another little stick and another little stick and another little stick and another little stick. And eventually, you're going to arrive out of there. Vaughn. Vaughn's an amazing man. Vaughn, come up here quickly. Come, come, I need you. Come, come. Steve, Steve, come, come. Come. So Vaughn will be a hooker, I'll be a prop, and Steve will be the other prop. Come, Vaughn. Come, 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 come. You can be in the middle. Okay, so as we, we, as we rugby, rugby, as we talk about rugby. So I had this rugby, uh, this rugby coach in high school. Um, Paul Boyson, he was hilarious. Okay, I'll be careful. Maybe you stand on that side. Okay. And and what happened was was we had a very small rugby team um, because we and you know when you like the English kids go play against the Afrikaans kids, the Afrikaans is bigger. Like, I mean, they're just bigger. I don't know what it is. And so we would have this small rugby team. We go play these big Afrikaans schools, and our pack was small. And Paul Boyson used to say, okay, but teach us how to bind. You've got to bind. You bind, just be careful, eh? <laughs> you bind. And most of the time, most, most people, what they think you've got to do, when you, you, in all my previous coaches would tell you, you've got to bind, you've got to go down, and then you'd like have some sort of a shot, you know, thing that you've got to scream at, you tell each other what to do, and you all got to push, and you try to push the ball over. So you're like, go down, push, and you try to push, and you try to push the other scrum away, you know? Um, but he said, no, no, I don't want you to push. What I want you to do, I want you to go down. Instead of push, what I want you to do is I want you to squeeze. Okay? So what do we do? We go down, and we just shout squeeze. 
And just by, and just by squeezing, we, every single time we pushed the opposition away. It was weird. It was like supernatural. It's like, and you just push the opposition away. Just squeeze. 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 Thanks, you guys can sit down. And, and sometimes you can, you can look at your little life and you think, well, what, can, what stick can I, what, what can this stick, little stick do? But you put your little stick with another little stick and another little stick and another stick. And all you got to do is you just got to, you just got to, you just got to, we're the body of Christ, not loosely connected members. All our little sticks, all our little things, and all you got to do is look to the person next to you and just pull them really close. Build great relationships. Just get connected. Just squeeze. Everybody say it with me. Squeeze. One more time. Squeeze. If I can leave you with that one thought, if I can leave you the one thought, if you want to go from where you are into the future God's got for you, into the future that God's got for this church, into the future that God's got for this country, I don't think it was by accident that the, world, that, that the Springboks won the World Cup. I think their hashtag that they put up even before they went was stronger together is a prophetic word for our nation. And I also believe it's a word for our churches. I do believe that. And what we have to realize that we are stronger together. What do you got to do? It's just squeeze. When the pressure comes, we want to put our head up. We want to, oh, it's hard. Squeeze. When the pressure comes, when the opposition's pushing against you, you want to bolt, you want to get by yourself, don't run. Squeeze. 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 And guess what? We're going to move forward. Thanks, Jason. Come on, let's make sure we're all standing. We don't want to just run off, um, although we are going to dismiss you in a few minutes, but I'd love for you just to take a few moments. I'd love for you to close your eyes. I think, I think that God has spoken to some people this evening. That story that Paul shared at the end, I've heard him share it before, but I'm telling you, in September, when he, when he, when he gave that illustration about the sticks, I felt like God spoke to me. Stop looking for the logs. Appreciate the sticks that we have. Let's, let's work together. And again, that's why I think teams are so important. It's teams. It's, it's not looking for the big wigs or the, or the big gifts. It's, it's come on. How do we actually, how do we actually link arms together? And, and I really do feel that there are people that God is asking to put on a bigger jacket next year. Uh, maybe you're just feeling like God's, challenging you where maybe you've been drifting away and he's saying hey squeeze get a little bit closer this isn't a one-man game and it's not a one-man game not by any stretch of the imagination those testimonies that you're going to hear on the first of december that's because of a team that's because of a lot of little sticks that's everyone from from the prayer team the intercessors to the traffic team to the cafe team to just everybody everything everything it's it's a team it's those it's those it's hundreds of little sticks together it's not two or three Big logs. In fact, I would go so far as to say that that's almost anti-Christian. Like that's, like that's heresy to ever think that you can do anything significant by yourself or with two or three significant people. It's, it's actually her- like I actually think that that could be from the devil because it so pushes God out of the picture. 
And it so robs people from, from, from the purpose and the destiny that God's actually placed in them. So just, so just where you're standing, just eyes closed for a few moments. Please can you just ask God to seal anything that he's busy saying to you right now? I feel like God's spoken to me. I'm definitely hoping that God has spoken to you.